I want to start a series this morning about matters of the heart. God cares about the heart. And I know it's the month for romance. Valentine's Day is this month, and we just kind of color the whole month with hearts. And that's a good thing because the things that affect our relationships the most are always matters of the heart. Tied to the heart. The heart is that seat of the will and seat of desire inside each human being. The Proverbs writer, Proverbs Solomon said, make sure you guard your heart because out of it flow the issues of life. The things that affect our lives the most profoundly are always issues of the heart. That's connected to the head and everything else, but it's the issues of the heart. With God, the heart is always the issue. Let's pray. Father, I pray you would open our minds, but also our hearts, that we could receive and respond to truth in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? amen? Amen. If you can listen fast, I'll try to talk fast. But I really believe that God has a word for people. I want you to look at somebody beside you. Just look over at them. Just look at them. I want you to look at the people sitting in front of you. Just, just look at the back of their heads. Now, if it was me, you'd get a glare, so you might have to, you know, that kind of thing. But can I tell you? Hey, man, come on, Jim. Well, you know when Jim, but boy, come on. Give me, a, give me some grace. Given it shall be given. Praise God. But listen, there's people sitting in this room right now whose heart is aching. And I know who some of you are. But there's people with aching hearts here this morning and nobody knows but God. This morning. Because the heart matters. The heart matters. Destructive behavior, habits, and attitudes are all rooted in the heart and they're fed by the head. And as we go through the next few weeks together, I'm going to talk more about that. But I want to read something that Jesus said. Jesus knew all about the, the root in the heart. And he said in Matthew 15, verse 18, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. What's Jesus saying? He's really saying that the things in our lives that, that you might say disease us are all rooted in the heart. They start deep down inside of us. He, he's acknowledging that you know, it's not just what we do, but many times it's why we do it. Motives matter, amen? Roots matter. You see a plant that's faltering, it's not just the leaves are getting burnt. Something's wrong down underneath, amen? You got to go to the root. 
And Jesus is saying that the root of all kinds of destructive behavior, habits, and attitudes has roots in the heart, in the seat of the will and desire of people. And on the flip side, we can force ourselves to do the right things many times, but the heart hadn't quite caught up. You ever heard anybody say, oh, their heart's not in it? You ever told a child to do something and they do it, but they got that big old pouty look on their face? They're doing what you told them, but their heart's not in it. They may not do it really well because their heart's not in it. They're going through the motions, but their heart's not in it. And really, that's one of the questions for all romantic relationships in this month of love. They're together, but is their heart in it? Is their heart in it? So Jesus flips this around and he says in Matthew 15, 8, which is just a few verses before, actually, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You say, well, that sounds like the opposite of what, he's, what he says a few verses later that I just read. No, what he's really saying is there's times with, with religious fervor, we can make ourselves do the right thing, but God wants a heart that wants to do the right thing. Amen. God wants a heart that says with the psalmist David, I delight to do your will, O God. That's what he's after. Some matters of the heart are not necessarily about sin, but they affect us in severe ways. Things like fear and anxiety, depression. Amen? These things are matters of the heart. Oh, I understand many times there are chemical issues as well involved. There's mental and emotional issue. I get all of that. But here's what Jesus is saying to us. Regardless of what all is involved in your mental and emotional struggles that reach down deep inside and they affect the way you relate to people, they affect the way you pray, they affect the way you live, the way you spend, matters of the heart. They may not be on the surface of your life or even on the surface of your thought stream. But if you're living in fear, it's going to affect everything in your life. Amen? If you're struggling with depression, it's going to affect everything in your lives. These things are tied to the heart. And even though they have other influences and other issues involved in those kinds of mental, emotional issues, including maybe chemical imbalances, I get that. I'm willing to confess that. But can I tell you, there's always a tie to the heart. There's always a heart tie. And that's where we need to start. That's where we need to start if we want solutions to the things way below the surface. You've heard the illustration of the, of the iceberg. It's not what you see above the surface you really ought to be worried about. It's the huge part underneath the surface that rips open Titanic's. And many people, the people sitting around you and you, you've got heart issues that are huge under the surface and none of us see them. But they matter. They matter. And they affect the fruit that comes 
from the root. And what I want to do today in the next two Sundays is I want to deal with the roots. All matters of the heart have a word and Holy Spirit soaked solution. That's the good news. True change begins in heart, in our hearts, by surrendering to the examination, healing, and filling of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. So that's where we want to start. There may be other issues too, as I said. There may be chemical issues. There may be all kinds of issues. But it starts, our response starts with the heart. Laying our heart open before God and saying, God, heal me. Work in me. I expose my innermost being to you. Show me the roots of these things that perk up to the surface occasionally. So we're going to start at the start, and that's in the Garden of Eden. I want you to read Genesis 3, a few verses. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. They, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Say afraid. afraid. Because I was Naked. Say naked. naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? Something's going on here. Something that happens to all of us at some point in our lives. And that is that we do something that we know is not best. We do something that we know counters the will and the perfect ways of God for us. And what is the result? We feel shame. Anybody ever been ashamed? Raise your hand. I, I want to see your hand. Have you ever felt ashamed of something? Some of you haven't. Praise God, some of you haven't. Most of us have. You hear everybody laugh. Those of you who didn't raise your hands, you hear them laugh. That's because they know we've all felt ashamed. All of us. Whether it's you, as a child and you, mama told you don't touch that cookie jar or I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay into you, whatever. And you did and it, the lid fell and busted to a thousand pieces. And now it's like, not only am I scared to death for my life, but I'm ashamed that I disobeyed and it caused trouble, right? I, I, I just want to stop a minute. I want you to ask yourselves, what are my most shameful moments? I'm not going to ask you to say it. I just want you to stop just a minute. I'm not trying to make you feel ashamed. I just want you to remember for a moment because it's going to help us as we go forward here. What is shame? Shame is the feeling associated with failure, public exposure, disgrace, embarrassment, social rejection, ridicule, and dishonor. And we've all felt it 
And most of us at some point in our life have caused other people to feel shame. Right? At some point we've all caused someone else to feel shame. I remember when I was a college student, I worked in a nursing home and I walked from my dorm to the nursing home. I had to walk down through a little ravine and there was a path through there and walked up and I worked early morning shift on weekends and I worked in the kitchen and there was some kind of controversy with the kitchen manager or somebody and all the other employees, they were talking about how, you know, how mean she was and how, you know, she, there's all these complaints. And, and they, she made some decision that affected all of us. And I screwed up the courage. I was going to go over and confront her. I was going to go in there and we were going to talk business, you know. And I was all bowed up and ready to just, Bible college student. And when I stood face to face with this lady, she was so kind and gentle, so cooperative and understanding. I mean, it was like somebody poked a pin in a balloon and it went. <laughs> and I felt so ashamed. I felt so ashamed of my own attitude and my own intentions. That's one of my many shameful moments. That's the only one I'm sharing this morning. I just want you to know, I know what I'm talking about by experience. I know the feeling of shame. In the ancient world, shame was seen as something positive, a, a deterrent to bad behavior. Shame was seen as something that promoted respect for the rules of human interaction, and it was used to motivate and control people. And can I tell you, the devil wants to use shame to control you today. The good news is this. Shame has no permanent, legitimate function in a believer's motivation. Okay? It has no permanent, legitimate function in a believer's heart or identity or motivation. And I'm just going to cut to the chase and say this. When Jesus died for your sin, he also bore your shame. He bore our shame. Jesus paid to remove the emotional residue, the mental residue of sin. He paid to remove the emotional, mental residue that sin leaves on any human being. He paid to remove it. And that includes shame over our sin. Some of you might get a little uncomfortable this morning. And if you are, maybe it's because you feel like shame should be used as a tool or you're feeling shame, and that's a horrible feeling. Amen? Shame is a debilitating, demeaning feeling. So what's the root of shame? Sin. 
sin is the primary root of shame. There's two others, and I'm going to speak about them in just a minute. But ultimately, shame comes when we know the right thing, the good thing, the best thing. We know what God desires. We know what God deserves. And we do the other thing anyway. That is shameful. That the one that bleeds, the one that weeps, the one that gave himself for us, that we would trample on his blood and just do what we want to do anyway. That's shameful. The root, the ultimate root of shame is sin. But there is another root. It's inadequacy. You see, there's shame that comes from failure. Anybody ever, ever felt ashamed because you failed at something? You tried really hard, but you failed and you felt embarrassed. You felt shame. You felt like, I'm just not enough. I'll never be enough. I'm inadequate. That is also a root of shame. And then there's one more. And unfortunately, some of you know this one too well. It's abuse. The devil is so insidious and children that are abused many times are ashamed because they, they internalize the way they've been treated and somehow the devil convinces them they deserve that. No child deserves abuse. Unfortunately, the enemy uses such things to cause people growing up to feel shame. There's many people, things have been done to them. Sinful things have been done to them. And they're the ones bearing the shame. That is not God's will. And it's not according to reality. So those are the roots of shame. Inadequacy is a shame because it says I'm not enough. Abuse is a root because it says I must have deserved it. What's the fruit of shame? You saw it in Adam and Eve's story. The first thing is hiding. We want to hide when we're experiencing the shame of sin, inadequacy, or abuse, our first reaction is to hide. To cover and draw back. The second fruit of shame is, I'll just call it paralysis. Shame can paralyze us and keep us from attempting things that we ought to try. Shame can keep me from coming to the altar to let God set me free or heal my heart. Shame can keep me from praying at all. How many of you, you've ever been in a place where you messed up again and you had trouble going to the Father for forgiveness? Am I the only one that's ever felt that? Shame can paralyze us and cause us not even to run to the one who gave his son. 
It can cause us to not appeal to our Father when He has paid with the blood of His Son to open His arms and open His throne room. Shame can paralyze us and keep us from tempting things because we don't want anybody to see our inadequacies. We don't want anybody to see us fail. And sometimes those are things God's called us to do. Maybe He called us to go to Austria or He caused us to go out a couple of weeks in, ends ago and pray for people in their businesses, but we failed to do it because shame says, I'm not enough. And I don't want anybody seeing my weaknesses. Shame paralyzes and prevents healthy, wholesome action, including prayer. The third thing is it can lead to depression. It can lead to depression. Why? Because shame says, I can never remove the stain from my soul. How depressing. I've got the scarlet letter on my chest from now on. Shame leads to depression. This is one of the roads to depression. There are others, but it's one of them. And finally, shame leads to feelings of inferiority and insecurity which is tied in with paralysis and all the rest of these things. Because shame marks our worth. Hear me. Shame says, I do not deserve anybody's love. That's what shame says. I don't deserve God's love. I don't deserve my, my spouse's love, my parents' love, my children. I don't deserve love. That's what shame will lead to that says, I am substandard. My worth has been attacked by shame. I know you're all depressed right now, but the good news is there's good news. And I'm about to get to it. What is the antidote for shame? I go back to the scripture I started the service with. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. By the way, one of the weights is shame, which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising or scorning the shame. Let's just talk about the cross for a minute. The cross was not just an instrument of death. Everything about a Roman crucifixion was designed to incite shame. Not just pain, not just death. They stripped them naked for a reason. Can they not crucify somebody with their clothes on? Yes, they can. It was designed to inflict shame because the culture of the Bible days was an honor, shame-based culture. 
which meant that your personal reputation and your community's reputation was the ultimate value. And anything that brought shame to you as a member of your community or your group brought shame to the whole group and they would rather die than be shamed. So therefore, one of the ways the Romans dominated the Jewish people and messed with their heads was everything about Roman crucifixion was designed to shame. Number one, strip them naked. Shame. Number two, hit them in the head and the face, which was an ultimate shaming action. Number three, spit in their face ultimate shameful action. Number four, carry their own cross like a slave. Ultimate shaming action. Five, curse and insult them as they hung on the cross. Ultimate shaming action. You see a theme here? It was so shameful that Roman historians, Greek philosophers would not even discuss crucifixion in public. They were ashamed of it. It was such a shameful thing. And on top of that, it says in the scriptures in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, cursed is him who is hung on a tree. Why? Did Jesus go to the cross to pay for our sin, to build a bridge of life from us back to the Father, but He also bore my shame so that I will not have to live in shame over my sin anymore. I will not have to live in the shame that I'm not enough because in Christ I can Thank you. He bore my shame. He experienced shame for me so that I would never have to be motivated by shame. I will never have to look in the mirror and say anymore that I don't deserve to be loved. I will never have to look in the mirror again and say I am a slave to my worst moments in my life. I am not a slave to my worst moments. That's good news. Does anybody feel this besides me? Is that good news? I don't even have to be a slave to my inadequacy because I can do everything with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that He created me to do. I can't sing like a bird because He didn't make me to sing like a bird. I can't fly like a bird because he didn't make me to fly like a bird. But I can do everything he created me for with his power. I no longer have to live in shame of what I'm not and what I can't do. No longer. No longer. He bore my shame. He bore the feeling of self-hatred and embarrassment and failure that all result ultimately from sin. He bore that for me. He didn't just pay the penalty. He 
paid for the residue, the stain to be removed from my soul, from my identity, from my self-image. He paid to remove all of it. It was never God's will for us to continue laboring under the weight of shame over sins already forgiven. I just want to ask you just a, a, an honest question. I'm not even asking for a response. I just want you to think about it. How many of you still get a sick feeling in your stomach when you remember your worst moment? If you do, you may still be laboring under unnecessary shame. I'm not saying you should ever love what you did. But he paid for it. You are not that person anymore. How do we walk free from shame? I got four things. Here we go. Number one is we uncover. Adam and Eve covered up. What they needed to do was expose their soul to the Spirit of God and to His love and His forgiveness and the of His blood. Amen? And most of us, rather than dealing with our worst moments, we keep covering. We keep covering. He wants us to uncover. And what does that mean? It means to confess. Oh, I know sometimes we give the Catholics a bum rap because they got confessional booths. But can I tell you what? James 5.16 says this. Confess your faults to one another so that you may be Healed. So I ain't telling nobody my worst moment. By the way, if you've confessed it to the Father, you're forgiven. But sometimes the only way you'll ever break the back of shame resulting is to tell a human being. Where somebody, somebody you trust. And I'm not asking anybody to get up in this service this morning and tell everybody your worst moment. Somebody you know loves you. Somebody you know understands the grace of God. There's something freeing when, when, when you tell another believer your worst moment and you just know they'll never see you the same again. They'll never be able to, to respect you or love you or appreciate you. But you do it and all they do is love you. And they still like you. What a moment. What a moment. And honestly, deep down inside, many of us, if we never have that moment, we'll continue struggling with the weight of shame. Oh, God can forgive me, but if anybody else knew, I'll be damaged goods and I'm done. Uncover. Sometimes the only way that happens is if we develop a relationship with other believers in the body that we learn to trust them, that they love us, that they're trustworthy, that they're not going to go tell everybody our worst moment, right? Can I tell you this? It's in my heart. This is one reason we're having a small group training next Saturday morning. It's really more about how do we disciple people and how, how do we gather people in small enough groups that we can learn to love and trust each other enough. We can put our laundry on the table and let the light of the gospel hit it and see other people love us through it. So I don't need that. Got it fixed, done, don't need to tell anybody. Good. 
There's somebody sitting near you that does need that. The issue is not, do you need it? The issue is, does somebody around you need it? And can you offer it to them? Can you offer it to them? Second thing is connect. Connect with Christ and with others who are walking in the light. We're only as healthy as the secrets we keep. I'm just going to let that one sit there for about 10 seconds. We are only as healthy as the secrets we keep. Number three, concentrate on God's awesomeness, not on your badness. Let me just read scripture. Psalms 34, 4 says, I saw the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. You want to get over shame? One of the antidotes is this. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't be consumed with your own flaws and your own weaknesses and your own failures. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect one. And He is our source. For the antidote to shame. Keep your eyes on Jesus. C.S. Lewis said this, the sign of being in God's presence is, is, is that either you see yourself as a small, dirty object or you don't see yourself at all. And he said, it's much better just not to see yourself at all. And what was he saying? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Yeah, do you still have some badness the Holy Spirit needs to work out of you? Yes, get in line. We all do. But the beautiful image of Jesus should consume our thought processes, not our flaws. Should we work on our flaws? Yes, we should. We just shouldn't be crippled by them. And we should be able to operate out of love for Jesus, not out of shame from our flaws. Finally, Accept your own worth to God. You're valuable to God. Even with all your mess ups, you're still treasure. Even with all your sins that have been forgiven, even with all your continuing weaknesses, even with all your misgivings and doubts, you're still valuable to God. Your worst moment does not negate your worth. Amen. Some of you have a hard time believing that. But it's true. Don't you stand with me? If you're here today and you, you struggle with knowing whether you're right with God or not, you struggle, am I saved? Am I born again? Do I have eternal life? If I were to die today, would I be with Jesus? If you don't know the answer to that, but you want to know the answer to that, I invite you to join me down here immediately after I say amen to a prayer. I'm going to wait here two minutes. And I want you to meet me here and I want to pray with you so that God will give you confidence of sins forgiven and life eternal. You can have that today. But for the rest of it, every one of us here have felt shame at some point. It's not God's will for us to live in shame. And here's the problem. 
Sometimes we're having fear and anxiety and depression. Sometimes we're having conflicts in our relationships and a lot of it roots back to the heart. We may not even know why we're acting a certain way, but God wants to go to the roots so that He can affect the fruit of your life. And one of those roots is we've got to deal with shame. So I want you to bow your heads just for a moment. I just, I just want to see by upraised hand, the Spirit of God, just, I, you're just going to acknowledge the Spirit of God is dealing with me about some shame. I, I see it. I want to respond, but just raise your hand. I'm not going to call you out. may not even ask you to come down here, but just raise your hand. Anybody? Shame issue. Okay. There's one, two. Anybody else? Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Okay. Shame. Yeah. Yeah. Shame. Let's pray together, Father. You bore our shame. I want you all to say this with me. Jesus, you bore my shame. I'm free. You do not hold my sin against me. My sin will not define me. I will walk free to be motivated by your love and not by my worst moments. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Father, I pray for all of us here today. I pray that the reality of this truth would go so deep that, Lord, we would never again identify ourselves with our worst moment. We would never again be paralyzed from doing what your Spirit moves us to do because of shame holding us back. We would never again be paralyzed with a sense of fear or inadequacy because of shame. But Lord, we would be free to respond to you and to other people with love and freedom and joy in the Holy Ghost. May that be our testimony and our experience from here on. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Now, if you want prayer, I'm going to stand right here for a moment. If you need to give your heart to Christ or you want prayer for, for what we've talked about or something else, I'm going to stand right here while she continues to play. Again, thank you for joining us for the message today. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to respond to the message or reach out to us for any reason, just hit the response link in the comments below. Have a blessed day.